Hi, and welcome to the May edition of our show. I'm Amanda, co-founder of Cenotopia. Paul Bruce couldn't be here today, and we're back at the studios of EHFM, all feeling a little bit of FOMO for not being invited yet to the live stream from Cannes. I'm here with Jim Ross, managing editor of Take One Magazine. And hi. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't sure if I was meant to say hello or not, but yeah. I am here. Yes. Let's not pretend. I'm also here with another regular, Ani Astikainen. Hi, that was well done, Amanda. <laughs> and a new addition in this episode, Luca Vuko is part of our Cenotopia core team. Pleasure. Okay, so apart from getting rained on, um, what have we all been up to? Uh, well, I mean, watching the films for the show, mainly. Uh, <laughs> Lots <laughs> the, of films, uh, huh? the, Yeah, trying to try, try fit them in. Uh, we've got a few students going to the Cannes Film Festival, so I'm hoping oh, to right. hear a little bit about uh, some of the films that are going on there, and then eventually see them when they turn up in cinemas maybe perhaps in september or something like that um but yeah getting a few of them and some of the short films that are playing there as well so i'll be having a wee look at them that's amazing um annie what have you been up to well i i went to see john wick three um without seeing john wick one or john wick two and it was a bit like an experience of watching game of thrones season eight episode five without watching game of thrones previously so i was like why is why is this all this senseless violence happening on screen and like what's the story with all the animals i haven't seen any of them but is it am i right in saying that the the sequels are meant to take place like hours after the first one yeah like instantly so they like run into each other yeah Yeah. i was really lost for the first 20 minutes of the film (laughs) and then the rest of the film i was just incredibly bored (laughs) (laughs) okay and luca uh, i hear you're moving to leith at some point yeah so just got the keys um on wednesday um and it will be over the course of two weeks that will be in leith in the the sunshine and the rain that's exciting so um, you can help us out a little bit when when we plan another cinema on the shore absolutely um also working on an article uh for with for an interview that i did with uh, scottish actor jamie robson yeah. uh, about the british weird wave uh so that should be out sometime uh this week just before uh the cameo uh, screening of uh, My Loneliness is Killing Me. Oh, cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, make sure you guys check on our website about that and a uh, little link to the cameo ad, um, screening that he mentioned. So as is customary on the show, Cinetopia has its networking event last month, and we always announce the winners of the raffle on this podcast. Uh, that Boy, that event feels like ages ago <laughs> and it, it probably it has been in our in our term we've done a lot of this stuff since then as usually as usual we have a great turnout at BrewDog. um it's a great way uh, to get to meet film people uh talk film talk filmmaking edinburgh i met a really interesting dp who just finished shooting idris elba's uh, new comedy show in the long run i think the second series I didn't even know about that show, but um, I'll definitely check it out. But um, anyway, uh, we run a raffle with business cards every time, and I know everyone who put one in is probably waiting impatiently to see whether they won this time around. So now's the time to reveal the winner. Who's going to do it for us, Annie? I think since Luca is new and fresh, he's going to have to pull the card out of my hat. So just a second. There we go. Drum roll. Ding! And the winner is... Terry Dre. Whoa, Terry Dre. Yes, everybody. Whoa. <laughs> I actually saw the last winner. Our last winner, Heather Brown, posted on Instagram her Cenotopia dope bag and winnings. And I have to say myself, it looked pretty awesome. Milk duds, juju fruits, jiffy pop popcorn. We asked her what her favorite bit was. 
And she said, by far the popcorn. So I was, I was quite happy about that. Um, I'm sad to say we've run out of American candy supply. We'll have to bring some more back on my next, for my next trip overseas. But our next order will be getting the celebrated popcorn, Jeffy Pop popcorn, and we'll be adding some UK movie candy treats. Does anyone have any uh, recommendations for me to buy? I get the feeling that America does a far better line in novelty candies they do. Than, than the UK and probably even Scotland in particular. No, go, no, go and get like I don't know the rhubarb and custard things or something. Go like properly old school yeah. things that come in like you know glass jars or something. Yeah, like, you know, and are sold by grandmothers. Well, I also <laughs> heard that you know back in the day here, um, it was really ice cream that was like a big thing at the cinema. So you know, um, you know, like an older generation would you know, would get ice cream at the cinema and not popcorn, you know, when we think of it. Yeah, it's funny. You can actually see that at the theatre still, because if you go to the theatre, then basically the only thing that they seem to sell in the actual theatre space are these, like, teeny tiny things of, of ice cream. I reckon it would probably melt by the time you're... Uh, <laughs> yeah, never got, they got that, though, so <laughs> I'd go for something more solid. <laughs> well, I uh, I have to say, uh, it's not the same as a Junior Mint or Milk Dead, so uh, next time, guys. But you'll really enjoy your, uh, your tote bag, Terry, and um, we'll email you um, for details on how to get that. So, Annie, what's in store for our next networking event in Edinburgh? So, we're planning on doing something slightly different. So, we're doing a masterclass and having um, an event afterwards as a networking event. And a masterclass is going to be uh, post-production for producers. It's going to feature um, three or four panel members to talk about what it entails in um, post-production and how producers should or could um, kind of budget and do timetables better um, in regard to that. But keep keep, uh, keep an eye on our website and our social media. We'll be announcing the date for that event soon. Great. Thanks so much. So in this episode, we'll be reviewing a few films, starting with Beats, a new Scottish film directed by Brian Welsh, uh, Claire Denis' own Space Odyssey, and her much-anticipated first English-language film, High Life, starring Juliette Binoche and Robert Pattison, and also Josephine Decker's Madeline's Madeline, which is currently in theaters, and actually you can find it on Mubi as well to stream. Um, we also are sitting down with the team behind Cinema Attic, Alberto Valverde and Rafael Cueto, uh, Edinburgh-based film collective that has been around for almost a decade and focuses on Spanish and Ibero-American cinema. So first up is our review of Beats. Um, the film was actually executive, executively produced by Steven Sonnenberg. It was directed by Brian Welsh and written by Kieran Hurley. It was originally a play by Kieran Hurley. Uh, Beats is a story of two teenage boys during the summer of 1994 who finally experience a rave night at the end of an era, uh, taking place in a small town in central Scotland. Somewhere in Midlothian, they say. Um, the film is about two friends, Jono, um, who's, done, who's played by Christian Ortega, and Spanner, who's played by Lord MacDonald. Uh, they share a love of music that uh, was so popular in raves across, across the UK. And they spend the last few months together hanging out, partying, and finally going to their first one. It's definitely a coming-of-age film, a film, I think, that captures a time and place in an end of an era, it's also right at when the, the Criminal Justice and Public Order Act was passed, which, as it's very clear in the trailer and um, in, in the film, uh, that was which outlawed public gatherings wholly and predominantly characterized by the emission of succession of repetitive beats. And in the film, the 4 by 3 TV shows show Tony Blair and New Labour Party coming in, promising a new, exciting future, which uh, I think we all know didn't quite happen the way we wanted it to. 
Um, the one thing that makes this very distinctive, I think, is it's shot entirely in black and white, except this one scene when the rave is happening and everyone's doing drugs. Um, it also, um, I think, takes, I think I read it took inspiration of some of like Shane Meadows' This is England. And I think that's maybe why I really enjoyed it. I, you know, I've, I've seen it twice now and um, I thought it was, it was cute. It was lovely. It was a, a great story about two friends. It, it kind of gave you a sense of a period of time. Um, and I, you know, I, I quite, I quite enjoyed it. How about you guys? I would agree with that. Um, and I, I say this as somebody who has not really listened to rave music really at any point in my life. I mean, you know, I can appreciate a, a good tune, but it's not a, you know, it's not a scene I've ever been plugged into or anything like that. But I think what the film does very well, and you've you've mentioned it there, I think there's kind of two main strands to it. The first one is the fact that it's just really an examination of that central friendship um, between Johnny and uh, John O, rather, and Spanner. And it does that very well. I think the two actors, Christian Ortega and Lauren McDonald, are very good in the roles. I think Lauren McDonald is hilarious, in fact. I think he's really, he's really, really good and gets uh, quite a lot of the best moments in that. So it does, it does that very well from a, a character standpoint. But then also, I think, with the, the setting of the time and place... I think it actually says a little bit about um, Scotland itself and even the way they present the the differing home lives of the central characters. And it makes quite a good... Maybe we'll talk about this more. I don't want to go on about it too much at the moment. It actually makes quite an interesting comparison, I think, with Trainspotting, which which is also one of these films, purely because the, the film, at least, of Trainspotting is set around a, a similar time. And... Just the way it, the way it finishes on kind of the film kind of finishes on a, a bittersweet note. Uh, I wouldn't say it's an uplifting ending, but it's certainly not a, a particularly pessimistic one. But it does have a, a much more optimistic, uh, inclusive outlook. I would say compared to something like Train Spotting. So I think it's actually got quite a lot going on under the hood. It's a very enjoyable film on a on a surface level. The actors are good. It's funny. Um, if you like the music, then obviously you're going to get stuff out of that. I think the supporting cast are all really good as well. But I think when you start to look at it through that prism, it does have it does it does actually have a lot to say. And I think one of the key things there is what you highlighted is it it, it spends a lot of time lingering on Tony Blair on televisions. <laughs> Um, and that is that is very much not uh, on accident. Yeah, I'm going to just say a few words and let Luca say more because he looks like he's got a lot to say. But um, I wasn't a huge fan of the film. Um, I'm same as Jim. I was never into that kind of rave scene. Like I've gone to raves with the whole drug take and it's kind of a new thing to me because I'm a little puss. Like it's um, it wasn't as nice that i was hope hoping it to be it's it's very nostalgic it doesn't really have anything modern or contemporary much to say um i like the the friendship aspect of it so as a as a coming of age story i think it was good and i loved the part with the brother um because the brother brothers being very violent and stuff and like i think i'd love to talk to luca it's not because he was violent that i liked it um i talked to luca yesterday about it and i was same as because i hoped he would come back um, into the film and we kind of discussed that relationship a bit more but we didn't um, and what I didn't like about it is they had these kind of very stereotypical characters and events and similar to the uh, success of repetitive beats it had a, a, a predictable series of events as well so it's 
I don't. I wasn't surprised at any point. I just kind of knew what's going to happen at all times. But Luca, what did you think about it? I completely agree with Annie. Um, I think there were. It's like the film was trying to uh, hit the beats of a coming of age drama. Hey. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but I thought, um, particularly the the main rave sequence, just did not. Uh, man about this yesterday. I don't think it matched the the passion or the aggression of that opening scene where they're in the bedroom uh, by themselves and sort of like going at it. Um, I thought like it was it was a lengthy sequence that rave sequence, but I just like not to bring him up, but it's like it just wasn't as aggressive as a Gaspar Noe uh, rave sequence. Yeah, so but I actually read something about how um you know how they filmed that and they had to get a massive amount of people in to do the filming and um and the amount of energy that they put into it putting everybody in 90s gear and stuff. And a lot of people who had been I don't think any of us can say maybe Jim one time had been to you know a rave in Scotland. Uh we don't really we can't really speak to that um the four of us, you know. But my point though is Watching that sequence, I was thinking about, okay, sort of like what Annie was saying. It's like, when is Fido going to come back in? Um, and then there are shots of like, you know, the, um, is it the Raven's Craig um, mm, plan? Yeah. Of that falling down. And then there's, you know, uh, cutaways of what um, Laura McDonald's character is thinking about, which is, you know, thinking about his best friend and stuff like that. And I just wanted just a clean bang, bang uh, of, of that thing. But it was, yeah. You see, the funny thing is, yeah, the, the, the film, now I like the film a great deal, um, but what I will say is it, it's definitely not perfect, and I think the point with Fido, you, you have hit upon something there, because there is, he is, so Fido is the, the, the brother of Spanner in the film, and basically Spanner does it, clearly does not have a very good home life, right? His, his brother's also involved in criminal activities, very abusive towards uh, Spanner, and they contrast that against the the home life of uh, Jono, who has a much more kind of like aspirational family. Like they're they're looking to move to this kind of fairly anonymous looking new build house, like quite far away from Spanner, who they consider an issue and all the rest of it. And I'll I'll return to that in a minute. But I think Fido's role, really, as far as I'm concerned, should have been confined to that. Um, it prov- it, it provides that contrast. It kind of shows different aspects of the boys' home lives, which I think you can extrapolate to Scotland in a wider sense, and I'll come back to that. But really, what he ended up getting used for, Fido, that is, is to introduce peril to this um, this central rave scene. And I don't think it really needed it. Um, now, because one, one of the other characters is uh, Jono's stepfather, mm-hmm. who is a police officer in the local police force, and obviously he's responsible for enforcing this, uh, you know, the Public Order and Criminal Justice Act, which is outlo- which is effectively outlawing raves. So I, I think it had that it had that peril aspect anyway, and it had that in a fairly you know with a certain amount of dramatic irony. Right. So I think that. I, 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 despite the fact I like the film, I do agree with the pair of you on that. That's that's one part that I wasn't wasn't that keen on. What I will say though is that central rave sequence I think cements a lot of what the film I think is maybe looking at under the surface. It's no coincidence that basically some of the images reflect the way Scottish industry is changing. That's kind of what's in there, and you know it's in color. It's not in black and white that part. 
and also the fact that um, basically the two boys both have uh, abuse in their homes. One comes from their family, the other one comes from, I mean, sure, it's his stepfather, but it's a police officer, it's an institutional force. And I'm going to disagree with the idea that there's not really a contemporary angle because it's very deliberate. It's very deliberate that it finishes on saying that that uh, bill was passed in the UK Parliament and was unopposed by both major parties. It makes a big deal of that. And I think what it allows it to say beyond that central friendship and the way it focuses on that by doing things like the imagery during the rave, uh, what it chooses to focus on, the coda, and that contrasting home life of the boys, I think it's actually got quite a lot going on. Isn't to say it's perfect by any means. Um, As I say, I think Fido was uh, poorly used at the conclusion. I think the racing does go on too long. I mean, I think it serves an important purpose, but it does go on too long. But really, just getting drawn in by those central performances and then trying to get something else out of it as well, like, you know, lingering on Tony Blair saying we need to build a nation with pride in itself. And at that point in Scotland's history, I really don't think it had that. Um, so it is kind of making that comment about what has changed and where do we go from here? Because when you then look at how the friendship develops in the film's coda, there's a bit of that as well. So I think it's got plenty going on, but it, it's not perfect. I'm not going to, you know, it's not the hill I'm going to die on, but I, I do think it's got quite a lot going on. See, I'm not, I didn't think the rave scene went on too long, but maybe again, it's that I liked the music and I enjoyed sort of the imagery and the way it was shot and, and, and that aspect, I like that. The other thing is, this is a first, oh, almost a first film coming out of, I mean, there's a couple feature films he did quite before this, but for the caliber and the product that I feel like that came out of this, like, and something that I think will linger in time and we'll look at more as one of these films about a certain time and a place i think it will it's it'll it'll stand up that's that's my personal opinion but anyone else i I would agree with jim and what you just said as well i mean we talked about this before but the the shots of you know the the quite overt shots of like um the real estate sign in front of the house when they're moving Mm -hmm. to the new house this whole i think is all of that stuff is super topical um in today's contemporary how <laughs> well in terms of gentrification in terms of um basically and even just There's the way new builds going up right next to you know like all over yeah so. but i think what kind of bothers me with that is it's, it's it's still saying it in the very much in the context of nostalgia so this happened this was a particular time and place um i don't like i it's just my personal opinion it doesn't really stretch far enough like that's been happening since you know it's not nothing new or something super topical it's just something that's been going on for a while then it is contemporary that's what you're saying if it's happening since it is contemporary well it's been then contemporary since that (laughs) you know what i mean it's it's not saying anything that's particularly new it's it's been dealt with before i i feel like in terms of so the film is very much evoking a time and place and that's clear, but it is also very much a product of the here and now, and I don't think it's necessarily looking to um, show what's happening. It's perhaps asking where we go from here, right? Because the, the setting of the film, and, and this goes for train spotting as well, actually. I know I keep coming back to it, but when I make this point, you'll see why. It's very much a product of where Scotland was at the time, right? Mm-hmm. So this is pre-devolution. It's pre-devolution referendum even really being proposed, you know, the last one, uh, you know, back decades before then. 
So it's before then, it's before the independence movement kind of really got any traction and everything like that. And it's a Britain in the fag end of a Tory rule which was extremely damaging to Scotland. And if you look at the way that is presented in train spotting, right, nobody really does anything about it. They slink back to Leith rather meekly and seek escape in the needle. Whereas here, there is at least some sort of saying there there's a shared community there's a shared identity now beats chooses to center it around the rave scene and that's just a, you know i mean you know you get good music that comes with it and all the rest of it but there is this idea of shared identity shared community and that's what jono and spanner who have very different futures ahead of them share so it's kind of asking us to consider what is it that we share whereas if you look at train spot i mean there's a very fav- the very famous line there is there's no such thing as society and even if there was i wouldn't be a part of it right so it, it's very different to that in the sense that you've got this institutional response which is very you know heavy-handed and you know politicians are all the same that's kind of a message running through it but it's trying to maybe get across or at least is what i got from it that the response of the people is now different so yes we are in a very similar situation and it doesn't look to answer where do we go from here but in that respect whilst it's not a happy ending it's quite bittersweet it is far more optimistic than a lot of the films that were made about scotland in that time otherwise would be and that's why it's a product of the here and now even if it's depicting the past so you think it's asking a question of what is the rave scene of today and what is going to bring us together to fight as a as a generation fight against oppression kind of thing i i still still go back to this coming of age thing for me because i think it's about these two two people within their community and it does hearken to me not just about train spotting it reminds me of dazed and confused what was that summer like you know when in the 70s what was that summer like in the 90s and that whole reason the new build versus the you know the uh, where he lived before was about how that separated a friendship and then eventually as the end they really do focus on the different characters and where they moved to and where you know none of them stayed in touch it was that rave that brought them all together and they'll have that moment and so I, I still think it comes back to those characters as much as it creates this ethos of politics and scotland around it that's that's where i think it's successful yeah no absolutely i mean it, 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 i would say the most the most successful part of the film is that central relationship and you're 100 percent right it is totally about that it's just these these little embellishments about you know john moving to a new build versus the the multis that he uh, lives opposite uh, spanner um you know in the institutional response to this rave scene um some of the characters in that rave scene and all all the and of course tony blair being on the television mm-hmm. at least two or three times in the in the film they're not by accident right yeah. so i think it is is trying to say i think this film has more layers to it than I think it's really been given. You know, because a lot of the marketing, quite understandably, focuses on the music and the rave scene. I mean, that's a, that, that's an easily easy selling point, and it does do that very well. But I do actually think it's got a lot more going under the hood than it's maybe its own marketing, perhaps, is giving it credit for. Okay, so the next film we're going to review is... Claire Denis' High Life. And Jim, tell us a little bit about that film. So, uh, High Life. So, directed by Claire Denis, as you just said, and it's her first English language film. 
and it is a sci-fi. I think you could make a case for it having uh, maybe elements of horror in there as well in some regards, but it's, it's, it's definitely mainly a sci-fi, and a lot of its you know reference points are sci-fi. And basically, the the film opens on uh, Robert Pattinson uh, aboard a spacecraft, basically, uh, and it's just him and a young child. And what proceeds to happen is we kind of jump back and forth in time, and we find out that he was part of a crew of uh, basically death row prisoners who have been sent on a, an experimental mission to see if they can harvest energy from black holes. Um, so we cut back and forth, we see what happens to the other members of the crew, we see his current situation, if we call that time period the the present, if you like. And then we also see uh, flashes forward uh, past that to the future. And we see, you know, the, all their interactions, um, what happened to the various other crewmates and what activities they engaged in while they were, they were there. Uh, and I'm sure we're going to have plenty of discussion about that in a minute. Um, so it's a very it's a very conceptual film. I don't think it's necessarily got. Uh, I mean, there is definitely a narrative there, but that's really just a very scant framework for it to hang quite a lot of ideas on, or depending on your viewpoint, no ideas at all. <laughs> we'll get to that. But that's that's basically the crux of it. And for most of it, we are with uh, Rob Pattinson. There's also, I would say, the most uh, prominent character beyond that is Juliette Binoche as uh, a doctor called Dibs, who is also one of the prisoners, but she just happens to you know, be slightly more scientifically qualified than the rest of them, uh, and her attempts to um, create a baby on board, effectively, and that's kind of her main focus. And we see them going about their business and, and all the rest of it. And I'll let somebody else say what they got out of it, because I think this is one of these films where people are going to say various different things that they got out of it, or did not, as the case may be. Um, I effing love this film. Um, I thought it was, uh, like, of recent memory, uh, like, one of the most startling sci-fi films I've seen in a while. Um, just, I mean, as a Tarkovsky fan, um, that there's so much copy and pasted into this, but in a good way. Um, and everything from, like, the different formats uh, they were using, everything from digital to... 16 mil for the flashback sequences um, and even like the weird CCTV stuff that they use like in certain bits where they're training on board and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and the ideas as per any great sci-fi. Um, whether it's like, you know, uh, what does it mean to actually harvest new beings in space? Um, you know, what does it mean to actually send people off and then not care about them anymore? You know, basically prisoners in space. Um and then the sort of cliched idea, I'll admit, of um, as you approach a black hole, it's really you're approaching the black hole of your own self. Um, I, You know, I don't love sci-fi films. They're, like, not some of my favorite, but I love Claire Denis, and I love this film. I think, like, almost even like we were talking about with Beats, it created this atmosphere um, in a completely different way. Um, where I was completely immersed in it and I was completely wondering what was going to happen next um, with this group of people we were following along with a spaceship and, you know, what was up with the dogs and the other spaceship and things like that. Like, so many questions going on, but if you can consistently stay in that and not be pulled out, you know, this is unrealistic. Um, it, it shows a, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal film, but couldn't you, uh, the the soundtrack and 
the beauty of the film was, and the acting, Robert Pattinson, and I'm a huge fan of Juliette Binoche, I just, it, it blew me away, too. I, mean, I think as well, like, it's, it's, I really think there's some really original imagery as well um, that I have not, if, I did not expect to see in any film um, regarding Mia Goth. Um, and basically there's an amazing shot, that amazing shot of, like, the astronauts, like, almost dancing weightlessly mm-hmm. as they're dropped off at the beginning. Like, it's, it's, yeah. And so the part I liked about the film um, was the relationship between the father and the daughter because it kind of, it's, it's an interesting premise. So this, this kid who's born in space has never been to Earth but is born of, of Earthlings and has been brought up by archive footage of Earth, I think, um, on like how she sees the world or the non-world, so the space around her that I would have liked to kind of see that a bit more but then there's a lot of other stuff and then like Amanda said that you you require kind of that immersion into the story which I just never got um I think the main instigator is Robert Pattinson whose face I just can't stand so it it distances me already from the film um any film he's in I just don't know I just don't like um and then the second part of it is is to the premise is really odd, so I, I know it's stupid to cling on to things, but just like, if these people are death row inmates, who's left in the earth? Because like, they're definitely not death row inmates, and the only reason they are made to be death row inmates is so they will have a reason to go on an eternity flight to a black hole, because otherwise nobody else would go on that ride. Like, if you're a normal prisoner, because of something you've done, you would you would just like rather sit at earth and just like sit through your <laughs> your prisons then but like it's just a weird premise and then there's there's a lot of things so i i looked up online to see if i was the only one who didn't like it um and looks like 57 percent didn't so i you know i have a bit of confidence in mm-hmm. saying this um and one of the best ones i saw online um was someone saying it's a collection of things you wish you could unsee and there's plenty <laughs> <laughs> plenty of that um so and it's it's just a bit weird there's a lot of like sex stuff there's a lot of there's a lot of rape and i'm not sure if i like the way they are handling rape so there's a a violent rape scene again spoilers i'm always the one giving spoilers um there's a violent rape scene and then there's like a female rape scene that is handled very differently and that kind of that kind of woke me up a bit like is, is this how we should be handling an issue like this um but again i'm being a bit too picky on things it's just I just couldn't get that immersion and I thought it was a bit silly um but not even silly just a bit messy and weird and intentionally trying to be a bit too smart so on the spoilers thing I think when the spoilers include a giant dildo I I think it's perfectly okay to flag that up in advance I think that's the sort of thing that somebody should probably know about before they go into this film don't bring your kids into this either yeah yeah our older relatives are you know just yeah just be aware be aware um what I, what I will say is part of what I liked about the film, and it's interesting that, Luca, you saying um, original imagery, because I, I do agree with that. But one of the things I was wanting to talk about is Amanda saying that you, you don't really 
maybe gel with sci-fi a lot. And I think maybe one of the differences is this, and I think what's original about it is it does make use of some quite well-established um, sci-fi imagery. Um, you know, like it's got a very Solaris feel to it as they're walking around the ship. Um, it's got... Side, I got a very strong silent running vibe off it because there's kind of the central garden that they tend to and it's kind of this oasis of green in the middle of this um, ship and it, it very clearly evoked that for me. But then there's just all these other different bits in terms of kind of like, you know, strong kind of monochrome lighting and all the rest of it, which kind of evokes sci-fi films we, we know about, right? And even when you get to the part where they are at the black hole i mean even recent films like such as interstellar it kind of recalls that um but it's doing something very different right because a lot of sci-fi films go the whole what does it mean to be human route right you know i mean like, like good ones do it terrible ones do it like some do it in block but like prometheus tried to do that pretty terribly in my opinion but it did try to do it but it is a little bit what luca said of you know, as you're approaching the black hole, it's kind of like literal and metaphorical. And the re- the reason she seems to jump back and forth is it, it, it seems to be not really asking what is it to be human. It's kind of like what is it to be human when there when there is nothing else, right? What kind of behaviors do people regress to? How do they interact? What is it that's driving them and and all the rest of it? And I, I it, it's using kind of the language of sci-fi to say that. But it's got a completely different... The, the analogy is it's got a completely different speech pattern to a lot of other, particularly recent sci-fi. Um, so in that regard, I find it uh, really really quite interesting there. And it's funny that Annie mentioned the archive footage that the daughters brought up on, because it was kind of an unexpected appearance for Scotland and Murrayfield in that segment, I know, which, I, which, which I was not expecting when I... When I watch it, I wasn't expecting Flower Scott. Yeah, I wasn't expecting Flower Scotland to pop up in the middle of this film, to be honest. But it it, it, it does. So there you go, Edinburgh. Go go see it for that reason. <laughs> I think as well. Um, it, at least as, you know, since we're talking about this after Beats, I think. Um, I, I, Amanda, I think you're right. I think like atmosphere is a big part of all the films we're talking about today. But um, it's. I think it's a great case of a of a sci-fi that's trying to do something new by sort of what you're saying, which is like taking tropes that currently exist, but in just imbuing it with characters that are so rich uh, in texture. Like, you know, th- this idea that Jules Bionache is like, you know, trying to create a baby in space after she's uh, done something to her own family that has caused her to be on this prison ship. Um, and, you know, the, there's a dog sequence which directly pertains to Robert Pattinson's backstory. Um, and yeah, as per the black hole thing, it's like it's it's a film that is cerebral, but it's like okay, it's like if there's only humans left, kind of have to talk about them. You know, uh, we like we can't go into even though like they did consult people to create the imagery of the black hole. It's like we're not going to be um, going into two thousand one level scientific detail of like uh, what are we actually doing here. It's like no, we're talking about a father and a daughter in space. Mm-hmm. Well, it's certainly um, really for me and Luca and uh, Jim a bit of something to check out for Annie and many 57% supposedly it's not so the final film we're reviewing today is Madeline's Madeline Uh, Annie tell me a little bit about that film Right, so Madeline's Madeline uh, is currently out on Mubi and in some very lucky cinemas, although I don't think anywhere in Scotland. 
um, is a film written by uh, written and directed by Josephine Decker, starring Molly Parker, Miranda July, and a newcomer Helena Howard. And Howard plays Madeline, who is a teenage actor attending a radically experimental physical theatre company in New York, uh, which is run by a ridiculously annoying and poncy theatre director Evangeline. Um, played by Molly Parker, and who also reminds me very much of some people I actually know <laughs> in, in Edinburgh in, and in the field of arts. Um, and so Madeline is a talented actor, but she suffers from mental illness and is in a very vulnerable moment and, and uh, place in her life. Uh, she's hitting the most critical teenage years. And Evangeline, in her selfishness and lack of original expression, I think, uh, encourages Madeline to weave her personal life such as the struggles with the mother and her experiences into the collective art piece that they're rehearsing. Um, of course, that's a horrible idea, uh, especially with someone who has already difficulties dealing with the borders between imagination and reality. Um, so what emerges from this uh, is essentially is an exploration of themes such as race, identity, cultural appropriation and exploitation. And the description I read from it before the screening uh, deemed it as a somewhat of a masterpiece of contemporary experimental filmmaking. And uh, everyone in the studio probably knows experimental filmmaking is not my piece of cake at all. But I do have to say I was surprised of how much I actually enjoyed it. I really, really liked it. And um big part of it is because I saw it in a cinema. So this is a bit stupid to say now because it's not <laughs> being screened anywhere in Scotland in cinemas. But that really played a big part in it um also i when i was in finland i uh, studied in a upper secondary school of performing arts and it really hit the nail on the head in all the aspects about the cringiness of physical theater and the pretentiousness occasionally of like student theater and amateur theater um but also it's it was funny at times but it kind of carried the heft and the weight necessary um when it dealt with mental health issues and it dealt with them really really well so this is a really good um, exploration on how a person especially uh, a young person like struggling puberty I don't know if you can say struggling but going through puberty and going through mental health issues how they feel and the film is kind of portrayed that aspect of it really really well Um, the relationship as well with the teenage girl and the mother was amazingly done as well Um, And then there is a moment. So this is the part where I said it's amazing to see in a theatre. So there's a moment where Madeline is hearing voices. And like what I've read and what I've you know, known from films, I've watched documentaries and stuff. When you hear voices, it's not really voices in your head. Um, it's voices around you. So it's technically like somebody is talking to you. There's a lot of voices talking to you around you. And the way they did this in the film is they used a whole kind of scale of uh, sound design. So in cinemas, you can have that Dolby 5.1, whatever digital audio you have, to have voices and sounds come from the front, from the, the middle and from the back. And they seem, some of them are a bit further away from you, some of them are a bit closer to you. And it used a whole scale. So the screen goes black in one point and these sounds emerge and me and Amanda saw in in a cinema in London and there was a woman in front of us who just like when that happened she just like turned around and shush 
us because she really thought there was people around her talking. It's so it was such a realistic ex- experience, and to me it was amazing. It kind of it distanced me from the film a bit because I was so surprised of it happening, but it was also a, a thing where like I smiled through it, not because it was a funny part, but because it was an experience that I haven't had in a while in the cinema. So it was like that kind of whole experience made aspect made it maybe a bit better than what it might be on a small screen. So it's really pity that is only available in Scotland through the online platform but it's still I think it's still a really really good film and it deals with this subject really really nicely. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I saw it in the cinema as well and I feel like um you know it was so again going to back to this atmospheric thing is the way that you share emotions on screen and how you film it and I think the sound um was really really compelling. I also think the whole experimental theater thing in New York was quite um, funny in some aspects because I have seen enough experimental theater and performance art to like not to laugh at it you know Um, and also the as you said the mother uh, Miranda July she's actually a really well-known performance artist and director herself I think uh, me you and everyone you know or something is is the film she made I didn't like much but I find her acting to be really great and her role in this was particularly really, really interesting. So I'm I'm, I'm just going to add to the chorus here, basically, and say that it's a really good film. It, it took me a while to find its rhythm. Um, now, part of that is probably my own uh, prejudices towards Miranda July, to be honest, because the last film I saw Miranda July in was the one she directed called The Future, where she also voices a anthropomorphised cat. Uh, and this film opens with Madeline making kind of cat noise because this is kind of the character she kind of re- retreats into, uh, featured cat noises on Miranda July. So my immediate reaction was, oh, God, not again. Um, but fortunately, it worked out to be uh, a lot better than that. And I think it really is a superbly made film. Again, I think like uh, like all the films we've spoken about today, it has a lot going on. Uh, what I find interesting, I would have liked to have seen this in a cinema, but I think it's well enough made that um, things do come through, even if you're watching it on a smaller screen or movie. Because it's funny that uh, Annie, you and Amanda talk about the the sound. Because I'm looking through my notes here, and I actually have several notes that kind of high, you know, make sure to highlight the sound design because it is really, really fantastic. And like you, you've got that example there, but. It's even the, the the choices that have been made to soundtrack it. Like, there's quite a lot of kind of like human percussion, you know, kind of like you know, like you know, people clicking and breathing and like making noises to kind of create atmosphere. And it gets a, it, it's quite disturbing in a way, but it it kind of really puts you there. And I've not, I, you know, the sort of uh, sort of experiences that Madeline goes through. I've not, fortunately, I've not gone through anything like that myself, but. It does really get across that experience very well. It really does place you with her um, very effectively. And, you, you know, you have sympathy for her and various other characters. And also her mother. Her mother's very overbearing and is not necessarily presented very well, but you can see where that concern is coming from. And then things that are done with the the visuals in terms of they have it... Um, you know, it's very blurry in certain points when we're talking about Madeline's dreams. It, it is a very... 
offbeat film. It does use a lot of very experimental techniques, but what is fantastic about it is it is all serving the characters in the film. It is serving us understanding uh, Madeline getting into her head and kind of the reaction to the people around her. And there's a lot of other themes that we might talk about in a moment, but it's really a superbly made film. It took me a while to find its rhythm, but once you find that rhythm, you're really with it for, for the duration. Yeah, it's very well made, and why I always pay a lot of attention in cinema is is the acting and Helen Howard, who's a newcomer. This is her debut. Um, she's absolutely amazing. Like I, she's so spot on. She's she's really a someone to look for forward in the future, definitely. Yeah, I really liked it too. Um, I think, like you, Jim, I was kind of uh, the first ten minutes where you kind of have to settle into it's sort of. Vincent Gallo, Shane Carruth style of representing the actors where it's like awkward pauses and like giggles and the camera not really knowing where to focus and finding lips or ears interesting. Uh, but once you settle into that, like I think I, I really liked it. And I think um, you, uh, like the themes that you brought up in your intro was like, you know, there's identity, there's race and stuff like that. But it's like I, some of the stuff near the end with like that theater company was, I thought, really interesting like in terms of there's a there's a concept that um molly parker's the evangeline character uh mentions just like immersive theater so this i i've been fascinated by by this idea that you can only have a play when it's being performed so there's improv going on where it's like no matter how much you rehearse it's like you have to create the world of the play as it's happening and that's what happens in the end um and that's how spoilers um the main character sort of consolidates her own identity is by consolidating her own power as a character in this theater group um i don't know if you agree but no you would you would have done very well in my upper secondary school of performing arts awesome (laughs) okay we're joined with the team behind cinema attic um alberto and rafael thank you guys so much for coming today Thank you for having me, Amanda. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about Cinema Attic and how it all began. You've been around for about 10 years, right? That's right, that's right. Uh, Just as a a bit of linking, uh, we were listening just uh, Minor Drag by Fats Water, um, which was the song we were saying. um, But we both have some uh, background, and we used to do radio back in the day. So it was like a nice bridge. I used to do a radio magazine called Calamari Union, Okay. Inspired by, you know, Aki Kaurismaki's uh, Calamari Union. And I think that is a lot of what we're going to talk in the in the next half an hour or so about our idea of films, films that matters, the kind of films we stand for that normally have uh, elements of absurd, uh, have political elements in the form and, and in the subject. And there's uh, an element of almost cabaret or, or circus in in what we do. Uh, but in terms of yeah, how everything started, everything started very spontaneously, you know, in an attic. Uh, yes, well, the, the 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 cinematic started with a, a different crew many years ago. I I used to have my own cine club called Todos al Cine the last Thursday of every month, and well, I met them. We did something together. Eventually. Carlos decided to go back to Spain and that team started to dismantle. So well, we took over slowly about six years ago maybe mm-hmm. and decided to give it a bit more continuity. 
more regularity. Rather, uh, be there every month, be there in more places, and do bigger, more events. So, well, that was our course. That was our scene, and that's where we are right now. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and I think those elements that started cinematic back in the day, which is the way cinema started, no, like people gathering in the back of a bar, you know, like the Lumiere brothers and everything, that's there. The social element is very present uh, in our in our film nights. Uh, it's, it's highly important for us, that social component. Uh, and, and and we try to bring, I, I would say, you know, films that very rarely uh, find UK distribution. Films that matter sometimes are like festival hits. <laughs> some Some are just films that we don't understand why don't have a UK distribution and, and, and we breach or we try to fill that Well, we that don't trust the opinion of many festivals. <laughs> we have our own. And for definite, we put films that provoke a, a thought, a conversation, so people are not left uh, idle. They, they need to talk to the person next to them and discuss the subjects of the film. And we fancy ourselves as making a better world than doing that. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and I guess it will be... It's time to touch on the short film element because obviously we we're well known uh, for for being you know like the short film guys in a way or the Spanish short film nights and that was at the beginning we we, we strongly advocate uh, storytelling in our uh, all all forms all lengths you know uh, but we're particularly keen with with short film and we stand for the originality and the value of of short film as an original art form we we do short film nights. Every month, that's what we're well known for. But we love cinema, so particularly in the last two years, we've been more fluid with this idea of nationalities, lengths. We like independent films. We know a little bit more about those coming from... Well, something that regulars of cinematic know about us is that Alberto likes talking a lot more than I do. <laughs> so <laughs> we prepare for that. Yeah. Uh, short film is the beginning of everything. The beginning of cinema is a 12-minute track cartridge, better said, in a camera, no editing suite, nothing. Just press play, pause it, continue, and finish it. And I think short film has still all the magic, all the mystery, and all the the resource, the gaps it leaves in the narrative timeline that needs to be filled by the audience individually, but whatever each spectator comes to the cinema with in their head. So it's a magic format, and we certainly love it, and we will never give it up. You guys do so many different kinds of events, but a lot of it revolves around this pop-up sort of, you know, music yeah. and food, and and there's this energy there I love every time I go. Talk a little bit about 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 your philosophy in that way. Yeah, and and I guess it's it's back to that. I think Rafa and I are very different. We have different ideas of maybe what we want to do with cinematic, but there is something very very uh, organic in the in the base in the grounds. Uh, that I think we share. There is, we're all about people. Or, you know, maybe quoting Agnes Bardao. You know, we're, we're driven. We're focusing in people. We we like people. We like to meet people. We like the human connections that can happen around films. And and we do it for a feeling. Uh, we we're well known. Or maybe we we won't be the the most successful business model, uh, but we do it. And and what we try to build with those nights is. Is get a, a different, a special atmosphere, a special feeling that night. Uh, so yeah, we put some food together. Uh, the reality is, <laughs> the only one microphone for Alberto and me in this studio. 
So this is gonna get hot. <laughs> no, the, the truth is a well putting the word cinematic and business model together is is like trying to put a couple of guns to a figure of let's not go to the church, but yes, it's not it doesn't work. Um, the, the, the the one of the dri driving forces in in cinematic or something that keeps us going is the lack of good or well the, the, the very few good films in our opinion that are shown in commercial cinemas. The few independent cinemas have turned into a kind of uh, elite intellectual corners where <coughs> many people feel alienated. So those who like cinema don't go to those places because they feel out of place, and that's an outcry. So cinematic really goes to them, really doesn't have any problem turning up in a basement, in a church hall, in a library, anywhere uh, setting up our gear, and giving a very good or the best uh, cinema experience we can offer. And yes, food, music, talking, comedy, and good films are always a part of the ingredients. Of, a lot of comedy, no? People start to, to, some people said, you know, we should do a, a break between the, the intro and the films because it's becoming so long. It's becoming a good excuse for Rafa and I to, to improvise our stand-up comedy <laughs> for, the, for the next range. But that wasn't in the plan. No, but back to the question, Amanda. Uh, Absolutely. Um, there is an element of us promoting films that could be considered niche or independent or authorial, you know, auteur films, uh, and bringing that in a very popular way for the people, uh, not just for film buzz, you know, or, or, or film freaks. Uh, we like to show these films to a wider audience, to, to you know, not necessarily film critics. And normally to do that or to connect or just to survive, really, and to gain enough people to keep paying the bills and everything, you need to be a bit creative. So uh, we've, been, we've been mixing that. We've been trying to uh, sell the experience, uh, build a kind of social night uh, where film is the center, but there are other elements. So people often come, uh, or some people might have come, to have Estrella Galicia because they don't have many places where they can have you know, a beer like that. Or a Cruz Campo. Or a Cruz, well, we don't do Cruz Campo and we won't ever do it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but a lot of people came because of that, because it's maybe yeah, fun yeah. or they yeah. like the social element mm -hmm. and discover short films, never exposed to a short film night before. And that's something that we're particularly proud of, bringing short film and, and independent films to a wider audience that normally will. It's amazing that short films are really, really popular, and I think it gets because you don't know what you're about to see, and so you're really trusting mm -hmm. of your programmer, like Cinematic, to give you something. And I think they go, they sell out a lot. You know, mm -hmm. they're quite popular, right? Yes. Well, there's one thing as, uh, as well that is helping us. I mean, is the what used to be a cultural movement where people going out and there will be so much culture outside and uh, it wasn't so much business driven. Now it's turning to a kind of a entertainment industry. And most people doesn't want to be part of it, so mostly because you are at the wrong end of that industry, the, at the paying end. So when there are, obviously not only cinematic, but there are so many organizations programming different events, programming events where the, every single member of the public counts. Uh, I, I, everybody feels great. Everybody likes to be part of it. And everybody likes to try something new. So I think we just create the right atmosphere, the right tone, the right line on business model again. And people feel comfortable and, and happy and proud of being part of something like cinematic. 
So you started in Edinburgh, um, but you also go to, you're now in Glasgow and Manchester. You, um, can you, is there any difference in the, you think about the audiences in different cities, like how they respond to the, to the films that you program? There is, there is. Uh, to put it in context, like we would never thought this will turn into, into this, no? We were just, uh, I mean, and when we started, you know, you would go to Edinburgh Film Festival or tell people in the industry, hey, we do a Spanish short film night once a month and everyone would be like, good luck with that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see in three months if you still exist. And uh, for instance, on Friday, we were doing a, a great collaboration in the portrait gallery with the guys of Nuriki, mm. uh, responding to, to the Warhol and Paolozzi exhibition. But at the same time, simultaneously, Rafa was there. I was doing... Uh, uh, a quite activist and political night uh, showing uh, the documentary Las Sandinistas and contextualizing the current crisis uh, happening in, in Nicaragua. And it was a sellout event in, in Lauriston Hall in, in Edinburgh as well. But then we were in London as well with our Basque Spring, with the team there mm. uh, in Stour Space in Hackney. So it's becoming that kind of yeah movement that we wanted it to be. Uh, we're quite cautious about making it sustainable in a way because there is... A lot of heat now coming from Bristol, for instance, a city that we think the format and the ethos fits perfectly, uh, and and they met, and you know all the elements. Normally, we look at a team that can do uh, and share the philosophy that we have uh, some links with with the uni or with film studies, and and a good venue. And obviously, I think we we found that. So, for instance, Bristol should be starting after after summer. Rafa's going this week to Manchester and Leeds as well. Yes. So it's, it's taking all over the UK, really. Well, the, the, that Friday, as Alberto said, is, it was a great night and uh, having free events, free cinematic events at the same time, different locations, was a great feeling. And Saturday on Glasgow as well. So I mean, we, we are actively looking for the right people to, to open the cinematic formula everywhere else. And it doesn't matter, really, if it's a great city like Bristol or if it's a university somewhere in the middle of nowhere, or uh, we don't care, but we 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 would love people to to dare to participate, and we certainly support them all the way. Great. So tell me a little bit about. I mean, you had a really big spring, the uh, Bast Spring. Tell me a little bit about that, and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the future events yeah. you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Normally, oh, oh, in the last couple of years, we've been mixing because normally we will be a short film. Uh, a monthly shopping night. So every month we will come with a different proposal. Right. Uh, but in the last two years we've been mixing that, uh, stretching to see how much we can we can handle with uh, retrospectives that can last uh, a week, ten days, um, and and we thought that focusing in those in some of those peripheral cinema or some of those regions uh, could have a could have a value and presenting Basque films uh, that not many people might be aware that you know there are films filmed in Basque uh, made in Basque country will be a, a well there will be a, a value in that so we try to bring the resources from private means public institutions this project for instance was in was waiting to happen for a couple of years uh, it was we tried to present it through three generations of Basque filmmakers and, and we started pitching this last year to GFT for instance and, and this year we found the the resources to do it. It happens that we have 
plenty of mad ideas and projects, you know, roller disco screenings, uh, political Don't festivals, uh, outcast festivals, you know, and, and particular projects, and, and they wait until the resources are, are there. So in the case of the of the bus spring, uh, it become like we we managed to get dates in several cities in UK. We had a lot of films that we wanted to share with with the audience, and, and most of them were also have a dialogue uh, between them because they were touching in how violence uh, has been affecting uh, Basque society and filmmakers portraying that. And particularly, I think there is a, a very interesting relationship between landscape, language, tradition, and how Basque filmmakers use that tradition to renovate and to innovate. So so we've, we've been showing those films here in Edinburgh, in, in Glasgow, but mixture of... GFT and traditional cinemas or art house cinemas and, and pop-ups, uh, culinary screenings we were doing. Even, you know, we were transforming Leith for a day in, 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 the old, in the old town of Bilbao, you know, doing a Sunday of pinches and films. So, so it was a beautiful, uh, beautiful project to do and, and it's finishing this week in Leith and Manchester. The, the, the truth is the uh, bad society are not affected by uh, big issues that, are, that don't affect anybody else. It's more interesting the way they approach them. Um, Alberto talks about the connection, the connection with the nature. With the nature, sometimes it's the the disconnection, the progressive disconnection we are suffering all with uh, nature, the solitude of our society, the discrimination, some big issues that affect us all globally. But it's very interesting to see how a particular group of people, no, in this case, in this case, was all the Basque people looks into those, looks into those issues and how they portray them, I think it's refreshing and it's, it, it helps alien people from the society to realize the problem can be sorted or can be shared or can be discussed and that's probably the underlining driver in all these events. So, you know, you're not a festival, you're more of a, um, a like a continual, um, you know, club of sorts. How do you, how do you, like, what's the benefits of that and what, how, with your audience and with what you can do and with that, you know? Amanda, we are a Waco cinema. A Waco <laughs> cinema is a cinema with no walls, no postal address. But we will end up at this, <laughs> at this rhythm. We will end up having a regular program almost every day of the year. Yeah. In different places, with different formats. Hopefully more appealing than current cinemas. The numbers are still going down. And I, I can tell that other uh, platforms in Edinburgh, at least, New Ricky, Cinematic, Cinetopia, and a few others are getting more uh, audience through the door than regular cinema. So probably we are getting to the right way to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are, we're experimenting definitely with, or if we have maybe an interesting element, is, is that kind of audience engagement proposal, which is terrible for a business plan, as we're saying again. But it's, it's a commitment uh, to, to experiment and to see how that affects and how it fits uh, showing those films every month, changing sometimes our theme-focused programs, sometimes they are region-focused, Basque or Chilean or, or Brazilian. Um, but it's definitely interesting, and we're very aware of, of, of that cabaret, of that circus element of uh, not being easy to be identified. Is is that flexibility that we like, that we're a movement, we have our own uh, agenda of events, 
but we are but it allows us also to be very flexible and, and, and go and team up with Nuriki or take one action or the jazz festival that came from a commission last year. So we quite like that element as well that's been happening in the last couple of years. We put an agenda, it's been a long term process. We we brought our like the films that we show that is in a way our our mission statement and 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 people started to come and say hey we like what you do and maybe you know uh, we like that the idea of cinematic as a movement as a space where people can come experiment uh, program films uh, you know come with projects so yeah we have our own agenda every month we mm -hmm. we welcome retrospectives and we also collaborate uh, with a lot of people yeah yeah, I like that you brought up the collaboration because I, I, I saw every time I go back on your site, I see all these different organizations you're collaborating with. Um, mm -hmm. And eventually, we'll be collaborating with Scalarama as well, you know? Yes, so. exactly. <laughs> yes, Scalarama. I forgot about that. Morbid, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, um, what what benefits, again, is working with different different other organizations like Leak Late and Noiriki mm -hmm. um, to, to what you do? I think uh, cinema in general is... Um, it's a very it's a collective endeavor, no, and and it's made with people, and often uh, you see that, and then th there is an element of networking between the professionals that like to share those experiences, and it's back to that kind of defense of sharing films with people that we have. Uh, there is an obvious uh, uh, benefit from doing a, a event or delivering with least late, which is you know uh, sharing that by that feeling that we can uh, construct. Uh, with others, um, sometimes, I mean, there are also economic benefits, uh, sharing fees, uh, sharing efforts, sharing resources. But overall, I think towards, like in general, not just in the cinema industry, we go towards individualism. Uh, we need to reclaim that collaborative aspect, that social element, and we're very aware of it. And, you know, yeah, yeah we sacrifice maybe... Uh, resources, time, money to, to go and to do collaborations with other people. Yes, well, I don't have much to add to that. It's, it's great to uh, collaborate with people. It's great to see how other people do things. It's great to to feel that uh, actually very important festivals and organizations like Take One Action, which we used to use as a model to follow, it calls you and says, hey, what, how would you like to to do an event together. And that was a great day. Um, also, the event went incredibly well. We sold out in Film House and GFT. But it's not... I don't know if we, could, we would have managed to do it by ourselves. Probably, why not? But it's That's much better, the, the, the way we did it with Tamara and the way Almudena Carracedo, one of the directors of the film, came over and enjoyed a full aspect of what's going on here in Scotland. No, So, yes, for definite... The future is in the mix, and we need to, to keep collaborating and working with, with nice people, interesting people. That's another thing I really like. Um, you know, I, I saw some of the stuff you did with Manipulate and, you exactly. know, those ma master classes with SDI. You bring over the filmmakers, um, in, and you have Q&As, and there's so much of that kind of stuff going on. And I think that's what makes your film, you know, your film events even more powerful not mm -hmm. always but when you do it it's been great for me to see exactly and, and it's the same it's back to resources yeah. two years ago we, we did a statement and we said right we want to bring this proposal to institutions we want to connect with the scottish film industry with uh with institutions here and we 
we want to bring the authors. You know, we want to be the creators, the filmmakers, and we're interested in the person and in the filmmaker. We want to ask, we want to interrogate, we want to share the ideas behind the processes. And and most of those events, as you know, are are for free because we can we can do it with ECA or with Scottish Documentary Institute or in Glasgow with the Uni or with uh, the Centre of Contemporary Arts. But it's, it's a it's a great element and probably one that we don't get a lot of profit from it. Mm-hmm. But it's one of the ones that we're most proud of. So if, if I laugh in the background, it's just hearing Alberto talking about business plans and profit. <laughs> All of a sudden, I don't know. The truth is that uh, this Basque Spring uh, was made of 21 events. Uh, out of them, 11 were for free. And there's a lot of value uh, for in every angle, you can imagine, the... The, the meeting the the creator, the, the the creative person, the creative mind behind a film before you watch the film, or even like in this case with uh, Anna Schultz to watch the film before, discuss it with her, and then watch it again in a bigger screen. So with Carlos Santa in um, February, it was the same. It was a pleasure to have him here. He spent so much time in our college talking about the structure of time and working in the workshops with the uh, students of uh, animation students uh, of uh, Becca. So it, it is, it, that those are experiences that really are worth to, to, to be lived and, and, and to bring over. Um, they cannot be, obviously, measured on financial terms. It's just mm-hmm. something that is really good to do. Absolutely. And, and for us, it was a way like to meet our heroes, in yeah. a way, Absolutely. very basically. You know, short filmmakers that nobody knows here <coughs> have some prestige, maybe in the festival circuit in Spain or amongst you know, some circles. But, you know, reclaim the value of those filmmakers, bring them, let them speak about their, their work and, uh, you know, kind of review their cinematography. I've run into... A f- you guys and some festivals as well. Do you travel a lot to uh, different festivals to find some of these? How do you find your films that you program? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess once again, it's a it's a not very economic way to do it because most festivals would do a, a, a call for submissions, receive a lot of films, gather a team, you no, know, and, and select. And we do what we start to call like the sniper style of programming, which is you no know, we. We watch a lot of films in festivals. Uh, um, we watch, we, we, we ask, normally we are the ones that ask for screeners, for links. And when that creative uh, connection happens, when that spark, when we say, oh, these fantastic Brazilian films will, this fantastic Brazilian film about trans moms will go really well with this Colombian film or this uh, German co-production. I think, you know, there are themes here that uh, should be presented, you know, as a, as, a, as a body of work or as a program uh, and have a really good value. And then we go one by one to, the, to each sales agent or distributor and pay for the film individually, which is more costly. You spend more time, more money. Um, but in the days, and we were talking about this earlier as well, in these days where, you know, a lot of powers are imposing us uh, subtly, uh, sometimes uh, what we need to see or, you know, uh, what we need to go to the cinema to watch. We think there is a value on that, on spending more time putting these films together and justifying and presenting to the audience why we put those films and, and hopefully, you know, uh, they can they can feel that when they, when they see, they can see those connections. So what's in store? Um, what's, what's up next or certain things you are excited to think about in the summer and the fall for Cinematic? Well, the first thing is that we have only one event left, 
well, two in England, two in Scotland, middle of June, and then we close for three months just to, to catch up with family <laughs> relationships. <laughs> my, my, my kids have a, every right to have a memory of their father as a young. No? <laughs> but, I mean, one thing we've been toying with the idea of certainly bringing a scat back, yeah. uh, the Catalan Film Festival will come back in the early winter, I don't know, late November, early December. We were toying with the idea of a, a special on revolutionary left, like really revolutionary 60s spirit. And there's a few names still got kicking around alive and willing to, to, to talk and to still spark a bit of a different way to live. Mm-hmm. And I think in these days we are living in Europe. I think we, we, should, we should do it. <laughs> we yeah, should just yeah, bring it over. I think the programs are increasingly becoming more political, not necessarily just no, talking about politics or social, but also in the form, what we were saying before. Um, and, and it's something that we, we're quite keen. I mean, there is an element of entertainment as well and films that are funny, uh, but, but we try to keep that balance. Uh, sometimes uh, this year has been a lot of uh, region or country focused, uh, but we're quite keen with getting back to the theme focus and bring a lot of different perspectives from different countries. Uh, the last event before the summer break is a focus on Chilean films and and there is there is a new wave of Chilean filmmakers, many, and we're reclaiming. It's been a particularly feminist year for us. We've been showing a lot of films made by women and we haven't done the numbers yet, but, but it was around 50, 60 uh, of the films we, we brought in the last year and it's a lot of films were directed by, by women, and, and you can see that in the case of Chile with uh, Too Late to Die Young, for instance, by Dominga Sotomayor coming into into cinemas. We're going to look at some of the earlier short films by Dominga, and again, there is that social element. There will be Chilean music, Chilean food. So it's a, it's, a, it's a last party before summer, and it's a very Latin uh, <laughs> party. Uh, and then, as I was saying, there are... Big, big, big ideas after the summer break. So there's there's a lot of rock and roll. <laughs> Go ahead. No, it's when we talk about events as well. We we are lucky that we have a team behind. I mean, the collaborations are not only with other film uh, platforms. We, we, for example, work a lot with Fogón Latino, which are are capable of cooking Colombian food and then Chilean food and then Nicaraguan food and then bring it to four different venues at once. So it's important the, the the people behind us, uh, all our we call it the cinematic family. It's about you know twenty to thirty people who, in one way or the other, come over, give a hand. They like what we do, and completely uninterested, they turn up and work. So it's not only Alberto and me. It's, it's, a, it's a very big collective. That's that's probably the best of it. And when is the Chilean event again? 14th, 15th of June, am I right? For, for 14th, 14th, 15th of June. Yeah, yeah. 14th, Glasgow, 15th, Edinburgh, if I'm wrong. It's Thursday, Friday. Don't have the calendar in front, but I think it's 14th, Thursday, Glasgow, 15th, uh, Edinburgh. And how best do people find more about Cinematic? Uh, we're everywhere. We're everywhere, really. <laughs> we, you know, it's... Well, find, find our website. Is I nice. Website, cinematic.com. Yeah, cinematic.com, double because some people might mm-hmm. get lost just with the traditional cinematic. Mm-hmm. It's double T cinema that was born in an attic. Mm-hmm. And we do Facebook. We do stories in Instagram. That's a new thing, apparently, no? You have to do <laughs> stories and live. So, yeah, we have a team that helps us with, with this, but we do Twitter. We're very active uh, mm-hmm. everywhere, so they can find us there. We're also persons, so they can jump in the street and say, hi, we like <laughs> what you do. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> Can I talk about being paid a, a pint and talk forever about cinema? <laughs> Either of us will do that. Well, thank you both so much for coming, and um, we'll all hope to make it to the, your last summer event before the summer holiday, and then see you around in, huge. in, in <laughs> September for Scalarama, too. You know, yeah, so. we, we already know, Bradley, what we want to show. <laughs> um, thanks again so much for coming. Bye. Thank you for having us. Okay, Cheers. bye. Well, that's what we have for May at Cenotopia. Thanks to Alberto and Rafa for joining us. We look forward to catching up back next month where we'll be reviewing more films and talking to more local film industry people. So what's on for take one this um, upcoming month, Jim? Uh, well, the main thing, well, we're going to have a few articles from, from Cannes, hopefully, but to be honest with you, the main event will probably actually be uh, the Edinburgh Film Festival. Um, the program's coming out very soon. It's going to come out on May 29th. They've announced a few events already, so I'll be having a look through that and plenty of people going to that and checking out what's there. And we have a couple ideas for um, for June, Annie, right, for Cinetopia? I guess so, Amanda. <laughs> I, I'd like you to run these by me before I have to speak about them on the radio. But yeah, we do, we do have uh, some ideas. That's true. But we are also going to be spending a lot of time in um, Edinburgh International Film Festival. And there's also Sheffield Dog Fest coming up soon. And I've actually seen some of the films that are in there. They have a really, really strong program. So if you, are, if you have the means to travel to Sheffield and stay there for a few nights, it's definitely a place to, to check out in June. Well, I was referring to our Pride screening at the end of June. Um, I think that we're going to plan on doing for uh, for the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots um, at Leith Theatre. We're going back to quotable classics at Cinema Nights at Leith Theatre, right? Yeah, that is true. Yeah, We're doing probably going to do Pride for that in, in Leith Theatre. Yeah, that's going to be amazing. And Luca, what do you have for uh, blogs and writing and anything else that you want to report? Well, apart from the Jamie Robson thing, I will be taking photos for um, for Pride and for uh, any other uh, planned events that uh, happen. I'm also excited. We were just chatting about it. There is hopefully you guys will review it next month. But um, there is a new Hungarian film called Sunset coming out, oh, um, wow. which is the sophomore effort from Lajl Nemes, who did Son of Saul, which won uh, Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars. Um, this one's about World War One and stuff. So, yeah, um, happened to go to it last week with a Q&A with the director. It was um, effing amazing. Um, and, yeah, hope you guys review that one. <laughs> we'll definitely keep that under consideration. Um, well, thank you guys so much for coming again. Uh, the Cinetopia Radio Show is produced by myself, Amanda Rogers, co-founder of Cinetopia and RPP Productions, and Jim Ross, managing editor of Take One Magazine, a UK-based magazine, and Annie Asikainen, co-founder of Cinetopia, and Paul Bruce, the director of the Edinburgh Short Film Festival. Luca Vukas, thank you so much for your input on the films this month. Cheers. And uh, for more information about Cinetopia and our partners, go to cinetopiashow.com or follow us on social media at Cinetopia Show. Thanks. Thanks.